0: Who is this Holy Spirit? What does He do? Well, we've talked about Him on and off for years. But He is the third person of the Trinity. And for us, He is absolutely beyond important, beyond necessity. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to continue the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? We see in the book of Luke what Jesus did. And then Luke continued writing the book of Acts. And we see then how the church is continuing that work of Jesus, Holy Spirit filled. Now we start off in chapter 9 with a new face. A face that we're all going to come to know because he was used to, to, to you write, uh, write down quite a bit of the New Testament. His name to start off with is Saul. Saul of Tarsus. He came from that area. And what do we know about Saul? Well, I'm just going to read just a couple different scriptures from, uh, from, the, the, from the word. Philippians 3, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Interestingly enough, his namesake was also of the tribe of Benjamin. Who was Saul's namesake? King Saul, I would assume. He was also of the tribe of Benjamin. So, a very kingly name. Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. He was filled with zeal. He was blameless in following the law, which really, as Paul will teach, amounts to nothing. Galatians chapter 1 goes on to say, He advanced in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries in his own nation, and he was zealous. Everybody say zealous. Zealous for the traditions of his people. Did you hear that? Traditions. Everybody say tradition. See, church, where we get ourselves into trouble is where we pull and we put traditions in place of the move of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, and if you don't get anything else, get, you grab this. The Holy Spirit is anything but traditional. Now, how many like their traditions? Any tradition. Okay? Hey, I had my tradition we all have traditions. Christmas, I was always had to sit in a certain chair. My uncle always had to take up the garbage. Nobody else could do it. You know. We each took turns opening gifts. My sister had three times as many gifts, so she got to open three at a time while we opened one at a time. It was okay. It was our tradition. Happened to birthdays too. Is my mom even here? Oh man. Okay. She'll hear it. She'll hear about it. You can tell her. Um, traditions. We love our traditions in the church. Right? <laughs> yeah. How many people, when uh, on a board, when asked to do a certain way, or like, you've never done it that way before? What will people think? Well, think about what? Their tradition is not being fulfilled, it's not being walked out. See, Paul was all about the traditions of his people. Quite honestly, he could have removed God from the whole equation and still done what he did normally. Did you hear that? How many people believe that we could do church without God? How many people think we could do lowercase c church without God? Absolutely we could. We can sing our songs we can say our stuff, we can pray our prayers, we can do that, and he doesn't have to be in the middle of it at all. He's down the road somewhere because we never welcomed him in. Amen? So, we have this man who looks spiritual. I remember last week, Simon the Sorcerer, he was a spiritual man, but he was a deceived man. Paul was a spiritual man, but he was not a godly man. He was not filled with the Holy Spirit. He was not a believer. We we're introduced to him in chapter 7, actually, when we see for the very first time him overseeing the execution of Stephen. Do you guys realize that that execution, Stephen being the first martyr, that was illegal? He was supposed to have a trial. Stephen got lynched. Everybody picks up a rock and on go they throw it. There stood... Saul and it says they laid their cloaks down at the feet of Saul that was usually a sign of hey he's in charge in fact in 8 chapter 8 verse 1 he says says he gave approval to Stephen's death and here's the crazy part they're killing this man in Saul's mind in whose name in God's name so we find out in chapter 8, verse 3, that he began to destroy the church. I believe the King James says, ravage the church, going house to house. See, for Paul, for Saul, this was a religious mission. Everybody understand that? He was on a religious mission from God. Everybody remember the Blues Brothers on a mission from God? I have a tie that says that. Cool. I'll wear it sometime. On a mission from God. See, Saul had it in his mind. I'm on a mission from God. Killing. All of those that were participants in something not... They weren't known as Christians at that point. They were known as the way. All participants of the way. I find that interesting. You can use Christian as a label. But when you call something the way, it means you're living it. You follow that? So anybody who was a part of the way he was ready to eradicate because remember he was zealous for the traditions of his people and along came this Jesus and did what with their traditions and here comes the Holy Spirit moving in in, in crazy new ways my word you healed somebody in God's name in Jesus name on the Sabbath now we sit back and we go well wouldn't that make sense seems like he would do it then more than ever No, that's not how we do things. That's not the traditions. So let's look at chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. Anybody know who the high priest was at the time? He's been around for a while throughout Scripture. Caiaphas. Caiaphas. As a matter of fact, back uh, several years ago, I understand they found an urn. They believe was actually an urn, and it was related to the high priest, Caiaphas, and they believe that may have actually been the urn of uh, this high priest. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Now understand, these guys are stationed in Jerusalem. Saul goes and says, I want letters to go to Damascus to clean house and arrest every person as a part of the way. This is how zealous... Paul was, or Saul was. Does anybody know how far it is from Jerusalem to Damascus? One, uh, Roughly 150 miles. It was a six to eight day trip by foot, which is the only way they got around back then. He was that zealous to wipe out the way he had gone to the high priest. Hey, I need papers to go to the, the, the synagogue in Damascus 150 miles away because i got some people to arrest. This isn't a guy just saying, hey, clean out my church. you go got to do what you want to out there. No, he was set out to destroy. You hear that? Who else do we know is a destroyer? Now, if you would have looked at Saul and said, my word, you were following Satan. Oh, he would have taken offense to him, wouldn't he? But what was he doing? He was doing the work of his father. Yikes. That's going to come into play here a little bit later. He was doing the work of his father. So we move along here. We find out Saul was religious. He was committed. But the bottom line is he was spiritually blind. Does everybody understand that? Spiritually blind. Now, here's what happens. He gets these letters, and he goes down the road, and he starts heading down. And we think the road to Damascus as a kid, I'm thinking about a two-mile road from here to here. And they're good. No. The road to Damascus was how long? 150 miles. And most of it was in wilderness, intersected with highways along through there. Most of it was wilderness. And he's out there in the middle of nowhere with his guys. And suddenly, in the midday, here comes a bright light brighter than the sun. So bright that he had to probably, well, what would you do if a light so that's brighter than the sun shines in your face? What would you probably do? Shut your eyes. And he starts to hear the voice of who? Jesus speaking. He says, Saul, Saul, in verse 4, why do you persecute me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Boy, he laid it out. Who does Saul think he was persecuting? Christians. The way. Uh-uh. Jesus set them straight. You're persecuting me. You're persecuting me. Here's something interesting. Do you know that the rabbis of the day and the Pharisees, amongst the Pharisees, the rabbis of the day believed at that point that God no longer spoke to man directly. That was over. They believed that that was done. It just didn't happen. We had what he had to say in his word. I find that interesting because we have denominations today that still feel that same way. God still speaks to his people, amen? God still speaks, and Saul found that out very quickly, didn't he? As this voice thunders from heaven... Saul, Saul, why are you persecuted? Verse six he tells him what he needs to do. Get up, go into the city. What city was he talking about? Damascus, the very city he was about to go into and arrest and destroy the Christians, and they're all probably waiting because they know what's about to happen. He is told to go to the city and you will be told what you must do. Suddenly, who's not in charge anymore? Saul is not in charge. In fact, you know what? Saul is confronted by the true nature of his mission at this point. Who has he been fighting against all along? Now, I'm going to say a name real quick. Oh, boy. Some of these biblical scholars need to help me out. Gamaliel. Thank you. Say it again, brother. One of the rabbis amongst the Pharisees had spoken not real long before this to the Jewish council when the disciples had been arrested. And you know what he said? He said, You guys probably you just need to leave them alone. Because if this is of man, what's going to happen to this whole thing? It's going to die away. But if this is of God. It's not going to go good for us because who will we end up end up fighting against? Do you know that, I can't get my tongue around that, was Saul's teacher. And yet Saul evidently thought he knew better. Because did he do what his teacher even said? No. Saul thought he had a better idea. So what did Jesus reiterate? You've been persecuting me. You've been fighting against me. Boy, how humbling was this. It says in seven, verse 7, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. They led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, how humbling must have this been? He's made physically blind, and why did the Lord allow that? Why was he allowed, why why the physical blindness? It mirrored his spiritual blindness. Hey, Saul, you really are blind, and I want you to know just how blind you are. All his previous ideas about who God was and what pleased God were being challenged at that moment. Three days without food, without water, in complete darkness. Now, I want to touch base here a little bit more on an individual that really ministered to my heart as I was studying this. Verse 10, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. This is not the same Ananias that was with Sapphira because obviously that Ananias died different Ananias. In fact, Ananias was a pretty common name. Just an ordinary old Joe name. Hey, I know 500 Davids. I have more Davids in my contacts than any other name. So guess what? I got a common ordinary name. Anybody else got one of those kind of names? Ananias had just a good, he was like Joe Smith. You know what I mean? There he is. Ordinary guy. And this is what God does. He was a disciple. He was not an apostle. He was not an evangelist necessarily. He was not. He was just a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And the Lord called them in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Ananias didn't freak out. He didn't go, who's this? Who's speaking? What's going on? Yes, Lord. See, that was the norm. That's to be the norm. When the Lord speaks, we listen. Why? Because we know his voice. In fact, in the book of John, Jesus refers to the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice, right? We're just called to know his voice. He wants us to know his voice. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. Now, folks, this may be the first time in Saul's life he's actually praying. You say, but what? Wasn't he a religious Spiritual man, yeah, but he probably recited a whole lot of prayers that he'd memorized very well. But had he truly talked to God? I'm going to ask you guys today, who here truly talks to God? There's only one way to do that, and that's through his son. Amen? Saul had never really talked to God before that we're aware of. In a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. God gave Saul a vision. Then he said, hey, Ananias, i got to fill you in because you're part of this. Now, obviously, Ananias freaks out. Oh, my word, I know all about this guy. This guy has come here to wipe us out, and now you're telling me to go to him. No way! But the Lord doesn't check him. He just says... Go. This man is my chosen instrument. Hold up. Chosen instrument? He just killed how many of our people? Chosen instrument? Really? I want everybody to sit here just for a moment. I want you to think about that one person that grates you. They are that one person that God has put in your life to humble you. They are the thorn in your flesh. How many people have at least one of those? Now I want you to imagine the Lord speaking to you saying, I want you to go and you're going to lead them to the Lord because they are my chosen instrument. I'm going to use them How many would jump up and say, awesome, let's go? Or how many would sit there and say, well, hold up, God. Couldn't I give you another list of names of much better candidates? Because if we were honest, we talked about this last week, there are certain people we wish would go to hell. There are certain people we wish would go to hell. You say, how dare you say that? Look, in your spirit, maybe it's not up here, but in your spirit, you want them punished, dead, and gone. Amen. And I think within us, until the Lord begins to do a transformation in us, we have to constantly lay those people before the Lord. And for Ananias at that moment, this was the kind of person... Do you think Ananias knew Saul was on his way to Damascus? Do you think he, he knew it? I would think he would know known it. Yeah, this guy's coming to do what? Wipe us out, arrest us, throw us in jail. Do you think Ananias was thinking very highly of Saul at that point? And yet God said, hey, go to him. 16, the Lord says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my And Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, "Brother Saul, oh, I love He can only call him brother Saul because what did Ananias realize that started to happen? He was being changed by Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately. Oh, I love that word. I say immediately. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Here's the beautiful part about Ananias. Do you know what his name means? God has been gracious. Isn't that cool? I think part of the reason Ananias got picked was, for first, he was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple. And, and the Lord's also like, this guy's got a cool name. Right? God has been gracious. Wow. What do we know about Ananias? Bottom line. Ananias walked and did the mission of Jesus continued the mission of Jesus, the Holy Spirit power. That's what he did. Even when he was confronted with fear, he still faithfully walked the trust of the Lord. And look how God used him. Amen? So then we say, Amen? And I just want to make sure. Amen. Amen. So what we find out here is this. Saul started out with this name, Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin, which is really kind of a namesake from a king that existed in the Old Testament time, so it was kind of a kingly, prestigious name. We find out later, not in chapter 9, but in later chapters, but I won't, don't think I'll be around when we do that, uh, that his name is changed to what? Paul. Everybody say Paul. He went from the kingly name Saul to Paul. Does anybody know what Paul means? Paul means little. In fact the Latin term the Latin word that Paul kind of comes from means pauper. like the prince and the pauper. that's what it means it means Saul went from thinking he was kingly to something outside of God who likes that Pastor Jim doesn't like that. He wants a kingly name. King James. Well, ask the Lord to rename him, now. There you go. Amen. Amen. See, what happened? What happened with. Paul, I want to read something to you, and this really is a a major portion of what we're going today. And we'll cover the rest of the chapter, but I just wanted to really focus on this just for a a moment. Um, Jesse, I know you're back there. If you could do Philippians chapter three, and we're going to start with verse six. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to hear this. Okay? We'll start with uh, verse six. As for zeal, persecuting the church, Paul's talking about himself. As for righteousness based on the law. Faultless. In other words, he said, based on my attempts, I was faultless and blameless. I could do no wrong in my eyes. Check our verse 7 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. What's the good old King James word? Dung. That's what I consider those things that I attained in my own strength. I consider them garbage and dung. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Here's what it says. No matter what you try to do in your own strength, it will amount to nothing in eternity. It will amount to nothing in attorney, but here's the problem. Here is the rub. Here is the paradox. We as people have feelings. Who here has feelings? Who who here li- likes to have good feelings? And in a world society, we have placed high, high, high uh, 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 pressure to do the things that make us feel good. And most of what we think makes us feel good is stuff that we do in our own strength. And that can include really good things like ministry, like social justice, all those things. But if they are done in your strength, according to Paul, they are to be counted as garbage. see, here's what happened. Paul, well, Saul, liked the feeling of being zealous for the traditions of his people. Because guess what? And don't miss this. Outside of that, Saul had nothing. Every one of us has something we hold on to. It's our identity. It's how we act. It's how we look. Maybe we're somebody who's pretty... You know, we can take care of business and people better not mess with me. Maybe we come across very soft. Maybe we come across like a great diplomat amongst people or very social or very antisocial or whatever. You can have all those identity things. And the, and the issue is, no matter how we act, how we respond, outside of those identities, if it's not in Jesus, we have nothing else. We have nothing else. And here's the beautiful part. Jesus reached down and ripped all of it away from Saul. But then gave him a new identity. Why did it have to happen this way? We could go into a whole lot of theological discussions, and I'm sure there were numerous ways, but I'm going to say this. I don't think Paul, Saul, would have received Christ if he just waited around to feel like it. Because there was too much at stake to feel like it. He would have to give up his prestige. He'd have to give everything else up. So what did Jesus have to do? He had to come down hard. See guys, how many here sit around waiting to feel God's love, grace, mercy, comfort? How many really, honestly, we try to feel that. And when we don't, what do we end up doing? Running back to What does make us feel But here's the thing. The Lord doesn't want us to, and this is the Lord speaking in my heart right now, He doesn't want us to bank on what we're trying to feel, and He wants us to bank on what we know, and who we know. See, He even said to Saul, He said to Ananias about Saul, He said, He's going to have to find out what He's going to have to suffer, for my namesake. But Saul was so ministered to by Jesus that he suddenly realized that nothing that could go wrong out here means anything. Because God is good. God is big. God is awesome. It got to the point where Paul's like, hey, look, they want to execute me. Great. I go to heaven. If they don't want to execute me, great. I get to keep encouraging you. Those people didn't know what to do with Paul because he had lost that, that, the feelings that he was leaning on. And he started leaning on who he knew. Let me ask one quick question. It might be a sidetrack. How many here get tired of leaning on feelings and then they always just kind of dupe you? I mean, church is filled with feelings because we want to feel God. And we like to feel God? But oftentimes what we interpret as God is a little goosebumps because we just sang that chorus a little louder and everybody was singing a little loud and boom, Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's not in it, but look at what happened with Elijah. The earth shook, but God's Spirit was not in it. The wind blew, but God's Spirit was not in it. Then it was absolutely silent, and there was a little whisper. It was God's Spirit. I just gave myself goosebumps. Well... Folks, I'm not saying that God will not shake us up to our core and in in, in our emotions experience that, but I'm saying if that's our priority, the feelings of God, we're missing a whole lot more of God than we realize. Our identity needs to be in who it is we know and who fills us. And everything else that comes with that, we And see, Saul was able to set that down, set that aside. I don't have to sit around waiting to feel God I know He's real. I don't have to sit around wondering if I feel Jesus in me. He who calls on the name of the Lord, whoever believes in his heart and declares with his mouth, whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Amen? See, that would take a lot of of stress off of us as believers if we stop trying to feel God all the time. And then wondering what we did wrong and then running to other things in order to fill that. So here we have Saul. He decides then in Acts chapter 9 to stay in Damascus. And I love what it says right here real quick um, in in, in verse uh, 19. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Isn't this cool? He's sitting next to them worshiping. And about a week before, he was supposed to be there arresting them. Isn't that cool? At once, everybody say at once. At once he began to preach in the synagogues. And what did he preach? Jesus is the Son of God. That was some message. He had an attitude adjustment. Yes, he did. He preached Jesus. In fact, I don't know that Paul preached a whole heck of a lot more and wrote a lot of letters about topics, but when he preached, who did he preach about Because he knew that that name had power. The gospel had power. And that's what he preached. The hunter had become a brother. The persecutor had become a fellow Christian. Now, by verse 23, what are we finding out? After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to do what to Paul? Kill him. Now the hunter has become the hunted. And the persecutor has now become the persecuted. So he shows up in Jerusalem a little bit later wanting to get to know the disciples in in Jerusalem a little bit. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. Why is that? Because the last time you were in town, you arrested all of us and killed people. Yeah, we know what we heard, but no. We're not sure that we trust this. Fortunately, there's another name that popped up, and I love it. His name was Barnabas. Barnabas was another man like Ananias that walked as Jesus did. And what he did was, when all the others in Jerusalem were saying, no, we don't want to fellowship with this Paul or this Saul because we know what he did, Barnabas took his arm around Saul and said, let's go in together. You want to know what Barnabas' name means? Son of encouragement. But even more literal sense, representative, such as a prophet. In other words, a representative of God, who is an encourager and a comforter. I want you to think about that. Does God do this by mistake? Does He do this randomly? He took a guy who was His representative and encouraged Paul and the brothers to embrace God. Walked him, walk them on in. And here's another guy. What do we know about Barnabas? Oh, he did go out. He went out on some missions, but he was not one of the high-up apostles. He was an ordinary guy. He was an ordinary guy. Are there any ordinary guys in the house today? He just walked like Jesus walked, and he fulfilled the mission that Jesus had started through the Holy Spirit power, and look how God used him. See, yeah, who do we know that wrote down uh, most of the New Testament? Paul did. Paul did. But if it wasn't for two ordinary guys named Ananias and Barnabas, where would Paul be today? Are there any Ananiases in the house today? Are there any Barnabases in the house today? See, that's what I want to be. I don't care to be a Paul. <laughs> Paul had to go through a whole lot. What's that? Oh, now she's calling me a wimp up here. Oh, boy. No, I'm just just joking with you. She wasn't joking. Laying on a note. Laying on a note. No, I'm looking at the fact that here, God, many of us, we think if we're not up here being used by God in mighty ways, there's something wrong. So then what we end up doing is staying down here where we're not used at all. No, he says, I want to use good old ordinary you that I love and am well pleased with. I want to use you to encourage others, to support others, to lay hands on others, to bring healing to others. Look, Paul, Saul was not converted on the road to Damascus. He heard the gospel on the road to Damascus. But it was confirmed when Ananias walked in and laid his hands on him. you like to be the person that says God used me to lead Saul of Tarsus to Jesus we have no other record of Ananias doing anything else do we hear massive messages do we see letters in the Bible penned by him do we see books of the Bible by Ananias no but without Ananias being faithful where would Paul be today without Barnabas being faithful where would Paul be today Where are the faithful brothers, church? Faithful sisters, church? Are you hearing what I'm saying today? So I love in chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord. Everybody say, fear the Lord. What is that fear? That... (laughs) I am absolutely nothing without him, so I better get on board. Because <laughs> everything I attempt to do in my own strength amounts to, according to Paul, what? Garbage. Done. I got to get on board with him. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, what happened to the numbers of the church? It increased. They increased in numbers. Folks, you want to see White Hill grow? <laughs> fear the Lord and be comforted by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Alright, let's knock the rest of this out real quick. Looking at uh, 32 to 43, we are brought back to a familiar name, Peter. And isn't, isn't it interesting that uh, here's another man who had a different name to start off with? Cephas. Then he was called Peter, which means what? Rock. In Revelation, it talks about the fact that we're going to be given a stone our new name. God already views us, if you are in Christ, with our new name. Your past has been forgiven. I don't know why I need to just say that, but your past has been forgiven in Jesus. You are a new creature in Christ with a new name. Now, don't spend the rest of the service trying to guess what that name is. He'll tell you. He'll make it clear but is there anybody excited about the fact that the Lord sees you and views you with a new name? Reflective of what he's doing in you, It's exciting? What we see Peter do, he meets up with two different people. He meets up with a paralytic who had been paralyzed for eight years, Aeneas. And then he also finds out about a lady who had been doing some neat things, been making clothes for the poor, taking care of her. Name was, uh, her name was Tabitha, but they called her Dorcas. Too, so I would have stuck with the Tabitha or Tabby or something like that. But Dorcas, okay? But what, what I want to make, just point out in this scripture here is this. Two things happen. Two things happen here. When Peter walks up to Aeneas and says this, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. It's like he said the very same thing that Jesus said to the man who had been lowered down to the roof. Take up your mat and walk. What did Peter do? He just continued the mission of Jesus. He said what Jesus said. He did what Jesus did. Take up your mat and walk. See, do you know how we make it all hard on ourselves? We try to come up. Anybody try to reinvent the wheel spiritually and ministerially? When really all we're called to do is continue the work of who? Do what he did. We sit around, how come people aren't getting healed? Because I think most of us are trying to make it so stinking hard. Do what Jesus did. And Holy Spirit power, take up your mat and walk. In the name of Jesus, take up your mat and walk. That's what Peter did. He just did what Jesus did. Then he shows up and Tabitha's laying in the bed, dead. And all these ladies and all the widows are sitting around crying. What does this sound like? It got so bad it said Peter sent them out. Does anybody recall Jesus going to the house of a man whose daughter was laying on the bed dead and people were crying and he, he said, don't worry, she's just asleep. And they laughed at him and what did he do? To send them out. Sent them out. It says in verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room and he got down on his knees and prayed and then in turning towards the dead woman he said, Tabitha, get up. You know what Jesus did? Got over, went over to the little girl and said, little girl, get up. Peter just did what Jesus did. Who's catching that right now? He just did what Jesus did. Now, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's key. But that's what Jesus did. And we make it so hard, this is what we are called to. Mark chapter 2, get up and walk. Mark chapter 5, little girl, I say to you, get up. See, here's the bottom line. Whether it's Paul, whether it's Ananias or Barnabas, whether it's Peter, we are called to do what Jesus did. Continue doing continue doing it. When the church seems to be dying all around us, nine times out of ten, it's because we are not doing what Jesus did in Holy Spirit power. We are not continuing that work in Holy Spirit power the work of Jesus. We're trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm going to be honest with you, Brother Jim's going to be sharing an annual conference uh, report tomorrow evening. and he's going to be sharing it to you all here July 31st. I sit there and I watch our denominational leaders and I know, what, I know what our slogan says. Continuing the work of Jesus. My problem is I don't see a whole lot of what Jesus did being continued. I see a lot of trying to reinvent the wheel or trying to do things to encompass all things that don't look a whole lot like Jesus. And that's not criticism as much as it is get our eyes on the fact that we are all just as Guilty. Hebrews chapter 12 is very clear run out the race mark before you fixing your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith when our eyes are on Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit we can rest assured, church we are continuing the work of Jesus in Stewart's Draft, Virginia in Augusta County in Virginia in the United States Church, don't fear. Do you know what's dying? Those areas of the church that are not continually with Jesus. That's what's dying on us. But I tell you what, no matter the amount of persecution or anything that comes, guess what? We're going to see Jesus move in might and power through his body. Amen. Who wants to be a part of that? Yes. I don't want to be a part of reinventing the wheel. Come on. Just because we got a video screen and I got a guitar and drums, nothing's new under the sun. Church is still all about who, no matter how you do it. Amen. And if it's not all about it's not church. Amen. Who hears that right now? Jesus, we want to be all about you. We thank you. You took the hardest of the heart and saw. You broke them. You made them little. Then you redeemed everything you had created to use them in a mighty way. Lord, you use people like Ananias. You use people like Barnabas. You use people like Peter. You use them, Lord. And I want to thank you, God. Here we are. We surrender ourselves to you. We want to continue your work. We thank you and praise you for who you are. We give you glory and honor. Holy Spirit, continue to have your way in us, transform us, and change us and use us. In Jesus' holy name I pray, to God be the glory. Amen and amen. we going to have you stand, love on that person next to you, shake them if they fell asleep. Tell them so glad to be with you today.